Take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 John. On the back of your sermon outline is our text for this morning. First John 4, verses 13 through 21. This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, just stop there for a minute. That's very Trinitarian, isn't it? The Father sends the Spirit because He sent His Son to be Savior of the world. Isn't that beautiful? Yes, we are Trinitarian. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Picking up verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. You stop for a second. There needs to be a profession of faith. There needs to be that public declaration, I am not ashamed of Jesus, and if you're not ashamed of Jesus, He will not be what of you? He will not be ashamed of you. And you live in Him and in God. And now 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. What a great way to live. Then John explodes again with this phrase, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And He has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So far the reading of God's Word. What this world needs now is love, sweet love. 1965, Burt Bacharach composed it. Dionne Warwick originally did not want to sing it, um, and then she regretted it, and she did record it. Actually, over a hundred recording artists have recorded the song. You know the words. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. And you hear that. And can there be a soul alive that does not agree with the sentiment of that song? What the world needs now is love, and there's just too little of it. Only we would say what the world needs now is God's sweet love. That's really the only thing, according to the gospel, to the writer of uh, the book of 1 John, that's what there's just far too little of. God's love, John says, is the most important thing in the universe. How important is God's love to you? That's my question to you today. How important is God's love in your faith, in your life as a Christian? And I guess that question has special meaning to me because when I was a brand new believer, I was 17 or 18 years old, I was visiting a friend named Eileen 
in her home. We were buddies, and uh, I'm, I'm talking to her about my new faith in the Lord. Eileen was not a believer, all right? No real interest in the things of God. She said, so tell me, what's this religious thing you're all about? And I'm sort of stumbling and fumbling with my, what I'm learning, and suddenly she slams her hand down on the table, and she says, don't you know your own Bible? She said, in 1 Corinthians 13, the apostle writes about faith, and he writes about hope and all these spiritual gifts, but he says, the greatest is love. And don't you know in your own Bible it says God is love. Get with the program, Yenchko. And I'm like, oh, oh. But that was a very important moment. That was a good teach, what we call a teaching moment in my life as I suddenly realized God is love. And the greatest gift is love, this dominant theme. Listen, one of Every one of our greatest desires, the greatest desire of our heart is to be loved, isn't it? We want to know that we are important to somebody, that somebody cares about us, really, that somebody won't abandon us or forsake us. And when we doubt that we are loved, you know what happens? You know, psychologists will tell us, when we doubt we are loved, we will devolve and, and, and run into all kinds of self-destructive and hurtful attitudes and behaviors, desperate to find love, what they say, looking for love in all the wrong places. Every one of us wants to know that we are loved. Well, there's good news, and the good news is that there is somebody who does love you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31 says, with an everlasting covenant of love that cannot be broken. And it's God. Twice the Apostle John categorically and clearly states, we saw it in last, the last paragraph last week, now he has to reassert it again. God is love, and it is one of the most sublime and beautiful phrases that the world has ever heard, right? Somebody comes to you, we've talked about this, one of your non-Christian friends, and they say, well, describe God to me. What would you say? And yes, it's important to take the theology of the attributes of God that are taught all throughout Scripture, and there's, 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 there's so much rich and wonderful, mysterious truths about the attributes of God, but still, is it not true that the Bible, without being simplistic, seems to have those arrows that it shoots when it talks about God? And so in, in John 4, when he meets that sophisticated woman at the well, Jesus says, God is spirit. God is spirit, and whoever worships Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Or the writer of Hebrews suddenly exclaims, remember, our God is a consuming fire. That is, He is holy and righteous and powerful. And John, earlier in this very book that we're studying, he says, God is light. In Him there is no darkness. He is pure. He is holy. He is light. But now, now twice we have one of these arrows, one of these bullets, one of these things you must know. I must always remember, God, you say to your friend, that's an easy question. God is love. 
And love comes from God. And we love because God loved us. This is radical. This is very radical. No other religion teaches this. Zeus is not a god of love. Thor is not a god of love. Vishnu is not a god of love. A Buddha is not a god of love. Not of agape, self-giving, self-sacrificing, serving love. And so this was very radical. You read through Greek mythology and Roman mythology and you see their gods are vindictive and fickle and cru- sometimes cruel and deceitful. But, but God, John says, God is love. Love involves action. What are we talking about? Love involves the expression of the giving of oneself for the good of another person. That's what love is. The active giving of oneself for the good of another person. And it always demands an object. Whenever you talk about love, there's more than one person involved. You know, who's, who's the, the greatest lover in our culture? Well, probably, I don't know, I don't know. For me, for me, it's Elmo. Elmo, just is there anybody more loving than Elmo? Right? I know the kids all went downstairs, but we can enjoy this. Um, but if Elmo, Elmo says, I love, it's incomplete. It's incomplete. What has to happen? Snuffles and Elmo. And Elmo says to Snuffles, I love you. And now it's complete. Is this cool? Is this wonderful? You see, it can't be just one. It's not just one. And if you're sitting here and you'd say, well, I, I love... Well, it, it ain't done yet. There has to be the object of love. And God is love. Now, Somebody says, yeah, but what about before He created angels? And what about before He created uh, mankind to uh, pour out His love? How did God love? That's a great question and a good question. Jesus answered that question. And He revealed that in His own relationship with the Father in the Trinity, before He left and came to that first Christmas morning, before His incarnation, that the Father loved the Son and the Son And the Holy Spirit loved one another in perfect communion. And Jesus says in John 17, verse 24, He says, You did love me before the foundation of the world. This is a marvelous truth about God. God Himself, independent. He is independent. He doesn't need us to exist. We need Him to exist, but He doesn't need us. And even within the Godhead, He had that sufficient relationship and expression of love. And yet, why did He then create the angels and and the world? And the answer is because He wanted another additional expression of His love. And in His infinite, inscrutable wisdom, He brought creation. He spoke creation into existence so that He could manifest His love. God is love. And it is expressed in everything he does. That's point number one. Point number two is that he has first loved us. This is really important to understand the Bible. God initiates and we respond. And it's all through the Scriptures. 
The great biblical illustration of God initiating His love is seen with Israel, with His people, uh, the, uh, the nation of Israel. And in Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 and 8, as God is describing to them how and why He brought them out of captivity, here's what He says. He says, the Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And in that phrase where it says, for the Lord loved you, it's, it's a double Hebrew verb. The Lord loved you because He loved you. Why did He love you? Because you were so great, because you were so good-looking, because you were so clever. Why did the Lord love you? He says, I loved you because I loved you. I loved you because I loved you. So I brought you out of slavery, into freedom, into the promised land, into new life. That's how it is with you and me. He loves us because He loves us. Nothing I did made Him love me. Nothing I ever do will make Him stop loving me according to His Word. Does God love you when you're happy? He does. Does God, does God love you when you're grouchy? Yeah, He does. Does God love you when your wife doesn't love you? Yes. Does God love you when your parents don't seem to love you? Yes. What about when your children don't seem to love you? Does God love you? Does God love you? He will love you even when you don't like yourself. God loves you. What is the evidence of this, this initiating love? Romans 5.8, the great verse, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There, there's the evidence. John puts it here in this text, you know that He loves you because He gave you the gift of His Son, verse 9, as Savior, verse 14, that He gave you His Spirit, verse 13. That's how you know. And when you know it, two things happen in your life according to this verse, verse 16. Two things happen. Here's what He says, we know and rely on the love God has for us. You think about this. Is this true of your life? I know and I rely on the love God has for me. Is that how you live your life? Is that what changes? Is that what energizes your life? This is a great question and a convicting question for me as well. Think about knowing. Knowing is more than an intellectual summary of the facts. Knowing is an intimacy, an intimate knowing, a personal relationship. You know, we say around here, this is very important for your own witness as a Christian. And we say, don't we? We say that Christianity is not so much a religion as it is a relationship with the Lord, with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. It's a relationship with Him, not just lighten candles, stand up, sit down, sing the song, warm the pew. It's a relationship with Him. We know His love. Now, you know it by faith. 
You know what? By faith, it's not, it's not like the tingles. It's not like you have to have a certain physiological reaction that is uh, what is required of every Christian. That's not what it is. Some people get the tingles. Some people get a shiver when they feel the love of God. That's wonderful. Fine. God bless you. It's not required. The Bible doesn't require that. But by faith, by faith, you say, I know the Father loves me. And I walk by faith. I know it. He says, I quoted Jeremiah 31.3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. That's why Paul says, what shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God is an eternal God, one of His important attributes, then His love is an eternal love. You say, I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, I point you to the disciples, those 12 knuckleheads who were with Him on that last night, the Passover night, the night as Jesus is about to bear the burden of the sins of the world. And He, got, he gathers them together to celebrate the Passover. And what do they do? They argue about which one of them is the greatest. They fuss and jockey for the seat of honor at the banquet table. He wants to pray. He says, pray with me. And they fall asleep. And at His darkest hour, they abandon Him. And yet, do you know the prayer of Jesus Christ on that amazing night Notice in the upper room, he says in John 13, 1, Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, listen to this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Do you hear that? Let it ring. Let it echo in your soul. He loved them to the end. He loves you to the end. And you cannot exhaust that love. That's why Paul says in the text we read, it surpasses knowledge. We know, and then the second word, which now obviously flows from it, and rely. And this is to be how we live. We rely on the love the Father has for us. Paul says in that amazing 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, So we no longer rely on ourselves, but on Him who raises the dead. And we have so many wonderful examples of that in the life of our congregation, don't we? We really do. And while when one preaches a sermon, it is not healthy to just sort of point out individual people, is it, you know, some of you have lost your job and you stand without an income right now. One of the persons was asked this week, said, you know, how are you doing? They have a mortgage, you know, car payment. They don't have an income right now. And she said, I'm doing great. I'm trusting the Lord. I know He'll see me through this. Wow. You, 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 don't, need, you don't need me to pastor you right now? 
No, I'm doing great. Why? Because she's relying on the Lord. Julia stood in front of us a few weeks ago, and she said, though she has this life-threatening disease, she says, every day I wake up and I rely on the Lord. Stood right here, frail, yes, physically frail, relying on the Lord. Some of you are in school, you're taking these examinations, these huge examinations so you can pass your medical boards or whatever it is, and, and, and you know, you go into that test and you say, I'll never, I'll never get through this. And yet you say, I'm relying on the Lord, and they get through and they come to prayer meeting and they say, I'm here to testify, God was faithful, I made it through. See, this is how, these are spectacular examples, but when your boss gets on your case, when your sales quota isn't meeting expectation, when your children are impudent and, and rude, when your parents are mean, what do you do? You rely on the love the Father has for you. See, that's living. That's how to live. Do you, do you live that way, or have you grown cold to Him? You, you say, well, can you grow possibly grow cold to somebody you were in love with? My wife isn't here today. Um, uh, about 35 years ago, I was in love. Nina knows all about this. I was in love with a girl. And I mean, we had the kids named, and we had the... You know, the whole thing, it's set, it's set out before us. And we had the tingles and the romance and infatuation was there. And, and then she's off at some college way in Ohio, and I'm down in Virginia. And it's the, this is before uh, inexhaustible minutes. I mean, these were expensive phone calls. And these were long letters. And these were pining hearts missing each other. And when we had those dates together, it was like, oh, what a reunion. But as is wont to happen, one day she says, this isn't going to work. You know, John, this has to end. We need to move on with our lives. And I'm like, what? And for a couple of weeks, for a couple of weeks, you know, are you sure? And what about this way? And can we try this? And no. But nope, she stopped taking my calls, and I learned I had to stop taking her calls, and we stopped corresponding, and a couple months go by, and I stopped really missing her voice, and she stopped missing my voice, and I met some other friends and girlfriends, and I had fellowship in the life of the church, and over time, over time, I did not need that love in my life. Now, that's a poor example, I know, but listen, Jesus Christ says to the church in Revelation chapter 2, He says, this I have against you, that you lost your first love. And I'm just saying, it is possible for your love relationship with the Lord to grow cold. How does that happen? Where you suddenly, you know, you started out with all this excitement. I read a testimony this week. I read a testimony of a man, and here's what he said. He said, soon after my conversion, I loved to hear about God. I wanted to know 
Whatever anyone said about him, I lived and breathed the Lord. I prayed without ceasing, and things seemed to go so well in my life, I felt on top of the world. And then soon, I developed a proud nature. And subconsciously, I got it in my head that God was blessing me because I was so good and so righteous and so walking in His ways. And it became convenient for me to take the lead and to run ahead of God, and soon I... I, I didn't need God except for a crisis here and there, and there were few of those, thank you very much. And I didn't pray in the morning, and I didn't meet with Him, and my heart was cold. Now, I don't know if this is you, but I know this could be you. Is this you? If it is, right now, he's saying, I have drawn you with an everlasting love. And it's this picture of a cord tied around someone, and he's drawing. And I would dare to say, he's drawing you. He's drawing every one of you to himself this morning. He wouldn't have given the preacher Jeremiah 31.3. He wouldn't have given us uh, Romans 8.28. He wouldn't have given us 1 John chapter 4 to us this day unless he was drawing you reinforcing His love for you this morning. And then He says, you're free from fear. This is beautiful. What does this mean? It's basically free from fear of the judgment day. And that is because there's evidence that He is at work in you, and He's giving you assurance of your salvation. This is really cool. At the end of 1 John, and we'll get there in a few weeks, John tells us, and I have written this so that you may know that you belong to the Lord Jesus so that you have assurance of salvation. And one of the ways He gives assurance of salvation is that He is actually conforming you, changing you, and making you more like Jesus so that you are a man, you are a woman of love, and it gives you some confidence. Are you with me in this? check, Check how the text goes. He has first loved us. We know this love. We rely on this love to get us through. And then he says, actually, and we perfect this love. What in the world does that mean? We explored that last week. His love is made perfect. And he says it again here. And and men's group, you in the men's group, remember the word teleos. It is saying that not that you, that God's love is somehow inadequate, and now because of you it gets made perfect. But what does it mean? that His love is made perfect in you. It's like the nail, right? The nail is perfect. It's sufficient. It's been forged in the, in the iron works, and the, the nail is perfect already, but when is the nail made perfect, or teleos? When you take the nail and you hammer it through the shingle down into the roof so that when the rain comes, the, your home stays dry and warm. Now that nail is teleos. That nail is made perfect. And so when God the Father's love comes to you and then moves through you to your neighbor and to your brother and sister, and it returns back to God perfected, teleos. And when that happens in your life, You are like Jesus, and you have confidence that you will stand on the judgment day, evidence that your conversion is real. Now, you know if you're half awake one-third of the time, that's not the ground of your salvation. 
The ground of your salvation is the cross of Jesus Christ. He sent His Son to be our Savior. But the evidence of it is that His love is made perfect, teleos, made mature in you, in us together. Are you a part of the body of Christ where if this is flowing between us and there is evidence that we will stand in the judgment day? And point three is this, because God so loved us, we must become lovers. Verse 11, then verse 21. Now here he says, we become like Jesus. Apparently, Jesus is not only the reason we are saved, Jesus is the roadmap to how we live. And so what do we do together? We study Jesus. You want to learn how to love? Get into the Gospels. Meet Jesus Christ. What does he, how does He show love? I'll tell you one thing Jesus does. He listens to people. If you're going to love your brother or sister, you need to, to give them some of your time and give them your ear. You need to listen. How many times does someone cry out to Jesus and Jesus hears them? The other thing Jesus does is He looks at them. He looks at people. And how many times do we read, and Jesus saw her and had compassion on her? Jesus saw him and had compassion on him. Jesus gave up His personal space. Jesus gave up His time. Jesus listened to people. Jesus looked really connected with people. He took off His watch and put it in His pocket. He said, let's connect. He loved them in the everydayness of life. What can you do? You can serve each other in this church. Some of you have spoken to me that, you know, we, we talk about the fact of how many people have moved off of Long Island just this year, just this year, let alone the past four years out of this church. There has been a significant agape drain just by these relocations. Good people, wonderful people, people that loved us really well. And for economic or vocational reasons, they had to relocate. What is God's will for the North Shore Community Church? It is that the rest of us Show up, step in, fill in the gap, find that the love of the Father made, made perfect here among us, and it's happening. I'm seeing it happen in such beautiful ways. Sometimes it's tough love. You know, love is not just Elmo stuff. Sometimes you see a friend and you, you discover that their attitudes and their actions are dishonoring to God or hurtful to others. You pray for them, and then you know what you do? Because you love them, what do you do? You go to them, and you talk to them. And you don't bang them over the head with a hammer, but you say, you know, you know I really care about you, and I've been seeing, I might be wrong, but this is what I've been seeing about this attitude in your life or these actions in your life. And and I think it's hurtful to your relationship with God, and it's come between us, and we need to talk about this. That's tough love. And then in the world, you know, yes, it can be the spectacular sacrifice of your life, but you know what my wife does when she goes through the checkout counter? When the person in front of her is rude to the cashier, 
You know what Nina does? I've seen this. And I'm, I'm taking the stuff out of the bag. And Nina says to the cashier, looks like you've had a rough day. I'm sorry about that. I hope the rest of your day goes better. And she smiles. And she bags the groceries. And the cashier says, thanks. You're driving on the highway. Traffic is merging. What do you do? Because you love. You let the person in. Because you love. And the greatest love you can have is to tell others about Jesus, to tell them the gospel, and to pray for people, to pray for them. I tell you this, if you want to love, and God puts in your mind someone from this church, their name, and it comes to your head, what should you do? Pick up the phone, give them a call, and say, hey, I was thinking about you. I was just wondering how you're doing. Is that an invasion of personal space? No, they see you on the, on the identity check and they don't want to answer it. That's okay, leave the message <laughs> on the recording. Hey, I was just thinking about you and just wondering how you were doing. Give me a call. Let's have coffee together sometime. Or let's our families get together sometime. What a great idea. And then get together and listen and look and minister to each other with the love of Christ. Can you do that? See, that's in the everydayness of life. And when you do that, you love God. Are you, you know, you have to check your heart for hate, by the way. This passage, you can't leave it without saying, is there hatred in your heart toward brothers and sisters? Come and purge. Do a purge. Get, flush it out. Get that hatred toward your brother or sister out of your life and love them. Bless them. Encourage them. What this world needs now is God's sweet love. That's the only thing there's just too little of. Let's pray. Bow your head with me now. Our Father, we are so glad to know and rely on Your love today. The judgment day is coming, and that's a terrible day for those who don't know You when, when we will be accountable for every word and every action. The judgment day is a terrible day for those outside of Jesus. But for us, Lord, we are told that we have been robed in a garment of salvation in Your very righteousness. And You are proving that to us by making us more like Jesus, by purging the hate. And Lord, right now, if, there's, if you can think of somebody you hate, particularly a brother or sister, either by your indifference or cruelty, whatever. Say, Father, forgive me because I want to love you and I want to love them. And then we pray, Lord, that you would make us more like Jesus so that your love will be perfected in this very church. And the world will see it and will wonder and marvel at the love we have for each other. They will say, who is their God? I want to know their God. And I pray, Lord, for someone here whose, whose heart may have grown cold. Our hearts may have grown cold towards you. 
We pray that now as we sing this closing song, we would not be ashamed to ask you to draw us near like Jeremiah 31 says you will do. Draw us near. Hold us close to your side. And as we wait upon you, that we will mount up on wings like eagles. We will run and not grow weary. We will walk and we will not faint. For you are our Lord. You are our God. You are our Savior. And we love you. Though you are invisible, yes, you are invisible, but you are real. And we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.